Hey, Mosaic, how we doing? Great, good, and then a long good. That was, that was, that was fantastic. Good Thanksgiving? Was that pleasant? Uh, I am a huge, I'm an avid advocate for Thanksgiving. Uh, I know that most, maybe not most people, many people, Thanksgiving is like that thing in between Halloween and Christmas that you're like, you're in the way because I already decorated for Christmas on November 1st and I've already been singing Christmas songs for a long time. So we'll just kind of have you here. We'll eat a bunch. It's like my pre-Christmas meal. That's kind of, is that, who, who is that? Who is that? Thanksgiving is just kind of that thing. Okay, that's, that's totally fine. That is my wife. My wife, November 1st, we decorate for Christmas and that's because I hold her back. If it was up to her, I don't, I don't know if we'd ever not decorate for Christmas. Uh, we have many, many Christmas trees. Uh, we have different themed Christmas trees. We have one that's just devoted to Disney ornaments. Yeah, it's just all, just all decked out Disney. Uh, and and it's, it, it's great. And she, it, it's fantastic. Our house looks beautiful. And she, in her kindness towards me, one day out of the year, on Thanksgiving Day, she will take one room our dining room, where we're going to have our meal and she will cover over some of the Christmas decorations with like some Thanksgiving banners. It's just, and it's just like, it's just so kind, so sweet, so generous that, you know, to me. And I really appreciate that because I love Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving is like fall. Uh, who's not from around here? Who's from somewhere that you, you have a fall? Like where that happens, the leaves change. Yes. Isn't fall amazing? Autumn is incredible. It's incredible for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is because uh, you're savoring it because you know it's about to get so bitter cold and it's just going to be awful. You're going to be in pain. Your hands are going to crack and you're going to be using lotion. It's not going to work. But also because it's just beautiful, right? The, the, the trees, all the leaves, they change colors and it's just gorgeous. It's amazing. I love the fall. And Thanksgiving is all about fall, right? You decorate in those browns and those yellows and you have a, you know, a cornucopia and all the different fun stuff. But I think the reason that I like Thanksgiving the most is because it's a lazy person's holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. It's, it's all about, let me eat as many yellow carbohydrates as I can possibly put into my body, right? And then let me just sleep and sleep and sleep. And then I'll go shop and shop and shop. And then I'm going to binge football till I drop. And no one's going to think anything bad of me, right? It's that holiday where you can be lazy and you don't have to worry about someone thinking, oh, you're so lazy. It's like, no, you're normal. You are average if you're lazy on Thanksgiving. I love that. I love being lazy. Comfort is one of my things. I love comfort. It's incredible. But here's the thing. I, I, you know, I've realized this often is that sometimes when you eat too much, you don't actually feel good afterwards. Isn't that a, like this, this thing that I've discovered through my scientific method of overeating? Like you just, you, you just don't feel good afterwards. And the same thing happens like if you shop too much. You just, you don't feel good afterwards. Or if you binge an entire television series, you don't feel great afterwards. Have you ever binged the whole show and you got up and you're like, wow, I just feel great about myself. Life is awesome, right? The sun is brighter. You know, the sky is more blue. It's amazing. I just have the fuel to go live life to the max. No, we just feel worse. And, and what I, what I want to post to you is this thought. What if we weren't created to simply receive. Like what if we weren't created to just consume, to just binge? What if we were created for more than that? What if we were created to pour out? 
as you think about that, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 11. And what I want to do with y'all tonight is I want to um, practice together the spiritual discipline of studying the Bible. Um, I don't know if you know this, but, but you can write in your Bible and that's okay. Like, it's totally fine. Now, now if you have like a real pen and a phone, you don't want to like write on that. But you can, even in your Bible, you can like highlight things or you can have two apps open. You have your Bible app and a notes app and you can take notes. And it's really helpful as you pursue after Jesus to study the Bible. It's good to study the Bible together, which is what we're going to do tonight. But it's also good to study the Bible on your own. It's good to read your Bible, but also to try to peer into it and say, God, what are you doing here? What are you saying here? What do you have for me today? What's going on in there? And so there's a number of different ways that you can study your Bible. And a very popular method is an inductive Bible study method where you highlight and you underline and you circle and you draw lines that things are connected and you write question marks and you write notes. And so we're gonna do that tonight. So I've got a number of slides and they're basically just my notes from studying this passage of First Timothy. Now, if you have the First Timothy journal, this is a great way uh, to utilize that. If you don't have that, no big deal. You can write in your, your Bible, your regular Bible or on your phone, you can write, notes and highlights. And and that is super helpful. So let's start. We're going to read the whole passage together. Then we're going to go verse by verse. So it starts like this. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, let me tell you, there is so much good stuff in this passage I am so thankful. I'm incredibly thankful to God that he inspired Paul to write this and was kind enough to get it to us because it teaches some incredibly beneficial things that just speak to my soul. So this first verse, verse 11, Paul gives Timothy two commandments, which are really tied together and are basically one. He says this, command and teach these things. So what I did was I figured there are two really important words here, command and teach. These are, these are commandments that Paul is giving. He's instructing Timothy to do something. So I circled them. You don't have to circle those. You can circle other words. You don't have to circle any words. And then I underlined these things. Now we're already in chapter four. So we're a ways away from some of the, these things. And so for my own like benefit, I just wanted to write down what were these things? What are the things that Paul is commanding Timothy to teach? The things that he's been writing about in this letter. And so I just went section by section just wrote a little note about something Paul taught Timothy or instructed Timothy to then bring to the church. What church is he teaching? The church of Ephesus. Yeah, he's in the church of Ephesus, which is a highly influential church in that area. And there are some false teachers. And so Paul is getting Timothy to go confront these false teachers. And so here's some of the things he said. He said, the aim of our charge is what? 
love. Like, and, and the word aim, and we talked about this, it's the Greek word telos, which means the end for which we were created. The end for which you and I were created and the church was established is love. And then he says, hey, these false teachers are not using the law lawfully. So instead, in turn, you should use the Bible biblically, right? The Bible teaches us how to handle it, how to utilize it, how to study it. And we should use the Bible biblically, the way that the Bible instructs us to use it. Then Paul goes on, he says, the gospel is for the worst of the worst. And that's me. I'm the worst of the worst. And that gives God great glory. He says, we followers of Jesus, we love even our enemies and we pray for them. We don't just pray about them, but we pray for them. We pray on their behalf and we thank God for them. There were a group of people that weren't educated and they were trying to teach authoritatively. And Paul says, hey, that's not the way it goes. We don't let anyone who is not educated teach authoritatively. People need to be educated. So he instructs Timothy to teach these people so then they can use the gifts that God has given them in the way that God has designed them to be used. And then he talks about leaders. And I love this. This is incredible. When you look at the teachings on elders and deacons and you look at the qualifications for elders and deacons, it's character, 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 right? Everything is all about their character. Paul tells Timothy, when you're appointing elders and you're appointing deacons, these leaders in the church, make sure they have solid character. That is what matters, which should speak powerfully to us because in our culture, we go talent, 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 talent. How many people get to just do things because they're super talented and yet their lives are a wreck? Their lives are a mess, right? They're hurting people. They're not loving. They're not kind. They're not patient. They don't look like Jesus. And yet, because they're talented, because we like the talent and what it does for us, we give them a pass. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Character. Character is king. And then he says, make sure that the church leadership structure matches that of the upside down kingdom of heaven. That leaders in the church are not there to oversee. Mostly, mostly they're there to serve, to hold up right? To care for, to encourage, to protect. Leaders in the church serve. He says marriage and food, those are good gifts from God. Amen? Amen. Thanksgiving, right? It's a good gift from God, right? The teachers were teaching them to to not get married and not eat food. Now, marriage is a gift, but singleness is also a gift. They're both really good gifts given to us by God, but we shouldn't look down upon any gift that God has given us. Our hope should be in Jesus. And he said to prioritize godliness. He says, Timothy, command and teach these things. And really those are connected. What he's saying is teach these things authoritatively, right? Go into this church where these false teachers are and confront them for their false teaching. Teach authoritatively. And then he says this in the next verse. He says this, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in faith, in love, in faith, and in purity. Don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young. Don't let anyone despise you because you are young. Timothy was in a culture and in a time frame where age was the thing. Like if you wanted to have authority, if you wanted to have respect, if you wanted to have power, you just needed to be old. In fact, there was a group of people that led the city of Ephesus called the elders. 
Now, when Paul talks about elders, he's talking about a different group of people, people in the church. But there was a group that led the city of Ephesus called the elders. And in that day and age, if you wanted respect, if you wanted people to listen to you, you needed to be old. Well, Timothy is, is around 30. Right? He's in his 30s, somewhere in his 30s. And what's interesting is in the Jewish schooling system, when you reach 30, you were said that you were ready to teach with authority. And he had just said, teach authoritatively to Timothy. Right? You, you're ready. Right? You have been instructed. You've been discipled. You are ready. Don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young, because you've been given the gift of teaching. You've been given the position to instruct. And so I want you to utilize that. And don't let people look down upon you because you are young. Now, in our culture, it's basically the opposite. We look down upon people because they're old. Right? We say, because you're old, you don't know what you're talking about. Right? You're not hip. You're not in the, in the now. Right? We want things that are innovative. We want things that are new. We don't want things that are old. And if something is old, it's bad in our, in our minds. If someone is older, they don't know what they're talking about. If someone, in fact, we uh, even like, we question people's expertise. It's the complete opposite. And what Paul is saying, it's not about age at all, whether you're young or you're old. It's about maturity, maturity is the mark of what we should look for in who we listen to. And Paul says, Timothy, I want you to set an example of maturity. Don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young, but, and I love that he adds this part, this is so important, because there are a number of ways that we could not let people look down upon us. Have you ever been in a scenario where you had a boss or a a parent or a teacher or a coach who was insecure about their power, insecure about their knowledge or their wisdom or their position? And so the way that they tried to lord it over you was just the worst, right? Usually, oftentimes when people have a position, but they feel insecure about it, they don't wield it very well. And Paul says, Timothy, here's how I want you to not let people look down upon you. Set an example. Live a life that matches the teaching that you're going to teach, right? Set an example and not just in the things that you say, but a holistic example in what you say and how you interact with people in your love, right? The aim of our charge is love. So Timothy, you be the example of what it looks like to love self-sacrificially for the good of the other. You be that example. In faith, this Greek word faith is pistis, which can mean faithfulness or can mean trust. So in your trust in Jesus, in your faithfulness to Jesus and in your purity, Now, purity is a concept, that's a Hebrew concept. That's a concept from the Old Testament. And it has to do with objects or people that are completely dedicated to God. That these objects or these people that are dedicated to God need to be pure. He's saying, Timothy, demonstrate for them a life that is dedicated to Jesus, that is devoted to Jesus, that is completely all in for King Jesus. Teach authoritatively, but make sure that your life matches the teaching that you are going to instruct people with. He says this, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. This word devote, it's a powerful word. It's used in early on in the book of Acts, like the, the entire community of, of Jesus followers, they were devoted to one another in community. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. They were devoted to the fellowship, to the community. They were devoted to taking communion together. They were devoted to this communal life in Christ. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering together. 
It is so important that we understand, Paul reminds Timothy, that we are not saved into a vacuum. We are not saved into isolation. It's not just a me and Jesus thing. It's a we and Jesus life together, that we pursue God together in community. And when we don't, it's not good for us. It is more difficult to follow after Jesus on your own than it is together with brothers and sisters in Christ who are encouraging, challenging, and inspiring you towards Jesus on the daily. Like we need each other. We can't do it on our own. And so Paul tells Timothy, right? Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Does that involve one person or many people? Many people to exhortation. That's at least two people, right? You have an exhorter and you have the one that is exhorted or you have those that are exhorting and those that are exhorted. You have a group of people that are exhorting one another. Teaching, right? Teaching is no good on its own, right? When when I'm standing there and I'm just me in a room and I'm teaching the couches, like it does, has no impact, right? Teaching is a gift that God has given for the community of faith. Paul says, devote yourself to the community moving in faithfulness to Jesus through the public reading of scripture, to encouraging one another and to teaching. He says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And what I've done is I've drawn a little circle with a line through it because that's the universal sign for no. And it's just a visual reminder that this is something that Paul is saying, don't do this. Do not do this. He's given them a number of positive commands. Do this, do this, do this. But here, don't do this. Don't neglect the gift that you've been given. Now, this is huge. So I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read it for you. Paul is talking to a different church. and He's talking about the gifts that God gives. And he says this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, there's a lot going on here, but I I want you to key in on something. Who is the one who gives the gifts? The spirit of God. So, so God is the one who does that, right? His spirit gives the gifts. Now, how does he give the gifts according to whose will? God's will, his own will, right? The spirit of God gives the gifts according to God's will. And then who empowers the gifts once they're already given? God, right? The spirit of God. The spirit of God gives the gifts according to his will. And then he empowers the gifts once they're already given, right? So gifts are given by God for God's glory, empowered by God. And now why are they given? He said, these are apportioned to each as he wills for the common good. So all followers of Jesus have been given a gift. How cool is that? You, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given a gift by God's spirit. How cool is that? And it's given to you for the common good, for the building up the church and the expansion of God's kingdom. This is what I love about this. I've been given a gift, but it's no good to me. It's only good for y'all. And you've been given a gift and it's no good for you. It's only good for us. How incredible is that? We need each other for our gifts to matter. But in community together, our gifts matter. 
They matter. They are given by God. They are empowered by God. And they are useful for building up his church and expanding his kingdom. If you are in here and you are a follower of Jesus, you have a gift that matters. A gift that is necessary for the church to function in the fullness of that was created to function. Now, this is why we need to understand this. Paul says this. He says to Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy. Now, this word prophecy, it means interpreting divine will. You see examples of this throughout the Old Testament. There were people who would speak on behalf of God and they were called prophets. Prophecy is interpreting whose will? God's will. It is speaking on behalf of who? God. So Timothy was given a gift by prophecy. So it was not given to him through human will. It was given to him by people or or through people by God, right? Because gifts are given by God according to God's will, right? And so they were prophesying over Timothy. There was a group of elders that were gathered around Timothy. They were laying hands on Timothy, praying for Timothy. And God inspired someone or multiple people to prophesy over him that he would have a gift. Now, it seems like in the context of this passage that it's the gift of teaching. Because Paul tells him to teach authoritatively. And he says it over and over and over throughout this passage. And although we together participate. And sometimes, as you see with Timothy, sometimes God gives gifts through people in the laying on of hands through prayer. But sometimes he just gives gifts because every follower of Jesus has one. That's what Paul says in in, uh, 1 Corinthians. We all have a gift that matters. And Paul says, don't neglect your gift. Don't neglect your gift. You have a gift. And if you don't use it, we miss out. If you don't use yours, I suffer. If I don't use mine, you suffer. We need your gifts. Use them. Use them to build up this church community. Use them outside these walls to care for people and to point people to Jesus. Do not neglect your gift. And then he says this, he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in these things so that all may see your perfection. Right? What? That's wrong? Wait, what do you mean? I thought I'm supposed to appear perfect to everybody. Is that not what Paul says to Timothy? So that all may see your what? Your progress. Let me tell you what. I am so thankful for this word. I cannot tell you how thankful I am for this word because I feel like a failure all the time, all the time. Almost on the daily, I feel like a failure. And I'm so thankful that Paul taught Timothy to demonstrate his progress, not his perfection. This is what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. We're not called to demonstrate perfection. We're called to be a presence of someone who is looking more and more like Jesus. Don't you love participles? They're great, right? That I-N-G, it makes all the difference in the world, right? That progress, that, that journey, that becoming more and more like Jesus. I don't have to be perfect. I get the opportunity to display to others that I am someone that God is making look more and more like him. 
One day I'm gonna be mature and complete, lacking nothing. It is not that day. Today is not that day. You can ask my wife. I'm not, not even close, but I can tell you this. I'm more loving than I used to be. I'm more kind than I used to be. I'm more patient than I used to be and not in my own strength, out of my own will, but because God has been making me look more and more like Jesus. And I love that Paul says to Timothy, demonstrate your progress. We're not perfect and that's good. We are people on a journey with God who is moving us into greater maturity, greater Christ-likeness. And that's a good thing because you know who I can't relate to? Perfect people. I can't relate. If you are close to perfect, I can't relate to you because I'm not. If you get everything right, I can't relate to you because I don't. If you never sin, if you never fall, if you never fail, I can't relate to you because that's not my story. But what people can relate to is someone who is imperfectly following Jesus. That's why I love to introduce myself as an imperfect follower of Jesus because that's what I am. And I want to set the bar low, right? It just would be like really low. You know that I'm imperfect. Paul goes on, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Pay attention, Timothy, not only to your teaching, you should pay attention to your teaching because you're confronting these false teachers who are teaching things that are detrimental to this community of faith. Pay attention to what you teach. Make sure you are teaching the truth, but also pay attention to your example. Pay attention to your life. Pay attention to yourself. Make sure that your life mirrors your teaching, that it matches your teaching, that you are a man of character, not just a man of wise words that you live out what you believe. And I tell you what, this is huge. This is huge. Uh, Our lead pastor, Renaud and Brooke, they adopted uh, four kids after already having four biological children. And I tell you what, when Renaud talks about adopting, like I can listen to that because he's living it out right? He's not just saying, oh, oh, y'all should go live missionally. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stay home in my nice little, you know, orderly home and house and environment. No, he goes out into the chaos. And when he says, go out into the chaos, like I can follow a dude into that. I can follow someone into chaos who is going into chaos too. Timothy, keep a close watch on your teaching, but also on your life, on yourself, on your example. Now, when you're studying a passage like this, it can be confusing because there are a whole lot of command words in here. In fact, I circled them. We've got like 10. If you show us the next slide, there there are 10 command words. It says, command, teach, don't let anyone despise you, set an example, devote yourself, do not neglect, practice, immerse, uh, keep a close watch, persist, right? That's a lot. That's a lot going on in just a few verses. But as you study the Bible, And as you circle things and you highlight things and you underline things, you can begin to categorize some stuff. Who likes to categorize things? Come on. I know, you know, you love the spreadsheets. When Microsoft came out with Excel, you were blessed, right? You knew it. You like to put things in columns. You like to put things in rows. You like to color code them. You like to separate them. You are a categorizer. Bless you, right? Not all of us are there, but but many of us benefit from you. So here's what's going on. If you look at what all Paul is saying, really he's only telling Timothy to do two things. 
Show us that next slide. Command and teach, that's one. Teach authoritatively and then set an example for the believers. These are the two things that Paul is commanding Timothy to do and all these other things are just related. So I color coded on the next slide. What you can see is the things in yellow have to do with teaching. And the things in blue have to do with the example that you're supposed to set, right? They're all connected, right? Command and teach, obviously. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, right? That's all related to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have. That's related to teaching. Keep a close watch on your teaching. And then you've got set an example. Don't let anyone despise you by setting an example. Practice these things. Set an example. Immerse yourself in this is a whole life thing. Keep a close watch on yourself. Persist in these things. What you find is Paul is keen in on two major things. The first one, Timothy, you have a gift given to you by God. Don't neglect it. And secondly, live a life that matches your teaching. And here's the thing. This is what I love about this is I'm not a first century, you know, teacher that was left in Ephesus to correct false teachers. It's hard to relate to that very specific scenario, but I am a follower of Jesus and I do have a gift. And I can hear, don't neglect it, Brady. Don't neglect your gift. And I'm also someone who is imperfectly following Jesus, who knows I need to, by God's grace, in his strength, live a life that matches the gift that I'm utilizing to build up God's church and expand God's kingdom. Now, why do we do this? This is incredible. What Paul writes here is incredible. He says this, keep a close watch on yourself on the teaching, persist in this for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, does that sentence make anyone else uncomfortable besides me? It makes me a little uncomfortable. Why does it make me uncomfortable? Yeah, that sounds wrong, doesn't it? Now, let's just, let's, just, let's just back up, right? Whose work is saving work? Jesus, right? Who died on the cross? It's not me. I didn't die on the cross, right? Did I pay the penalty for the sins of the world? Nope. Did I raise to new life and demonstrate power over death? Nope. Right. Did I send my own son to save the world? Who, who did the saving? God. Yeah. Jesus. God. God is the one who's in the business of saving. God is the one who has the power to save. And God is the one who actually did the stuff that was needed for salvation. Saving is God work. Saving is divine work. And yet, and this is incredible. This is incredible. Paul tells Timothy that as he uses the gift that God has given him faithfully, and as he continues by God's power to set an example, he gets to participate in divine work. In work he has no business participating in. In work he has no power to participate in. How incredible is our God that he has given us people who are at best rebels, at best sinners, at best imperfect. He has given us the opportunity as we use the gift he has given according to his will and his empowerment, we can participate in divine work. You can participate in divine work. Salvation is talked about in three tenses in the Bible. Past tense, present tense, and future tense. 
past tense is what Jesus did on the cross, right? We are, you might hear people say justified by what Jesus did. Present tense, you'll hear people using the word sanctification or it's the process of maturity. It's the process of being made more like Jesus. This is where we get to participate in our salvation, where God invites us to participate in becoming more and more like Jesus. In uh, the book of Philippians, Paul tells Timothy or uh, the, the church of Philippi, he says, work out your own salvation, right? Work out your sanctification for it is God who is at work within you. Paul uses both of these things. He he marries these things together to show us that God is the one moving us to maturity, but he's invited us to participate. And then also as we use our gift that was given to us by God, that is empowered by God, we are able to build up God's church and expand God's kingdom, which is God work. Every single one of us has the opportunity today to participate in divine work, work that will matter in eternity. That's incredible because we have no business participating in God's work. We have no power to do that, but God invites us and empowers us to partner with him in his work, in his global expanding enterprise. And I love what Paul does here in this passage Right, you've got these two things, command and teach, and set the believers in an example. Will you show us that next slide? And what he does, all the rest of the words are basically repeats. Devote yourself to these things. Do not neglect these things. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in these things. Keep a close watch on these things. Persist in these things. Why does Paul say this? Why does he give him two commands and then just repeats over and over and over? Devote, practice, immerse, persist, keep a close watch, right? Continue, continue, continue. Because a life following Jesus is not easy. A life following Jesus is not easy. Walking in his footsteps is not easy. It's hard. You ever wake up, you wake up and you're like, are you, are you kidding me that I am still as imperfect as I am? You wake up and immediately the devil's already tempting you, right? He's already trying to make your mind wander. Or you, you have the, the first conversation of the day and it's already a struggle, right? A life following Jesus is difficult. Uh, for many of us who are still struggling with sin and struggling with addictions and struggling to, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, we get it. It is not easy. It's hard. It is hard to love self-sacrificially for the good of the other person. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to be kind. It's hard not to be jealous. It's not hard not to envy and boast. It's hard to give generously. It's hard to love our enemies. It is not easy. The Christian life is not for the faint of heart. I was thinking about this passage of scripture and I, I thought about Rocky. Who likes the Rocky movies? Or do we have some fans? Okay, we got, a, we got a few Rocky fans. Here's the deal. I'm just gonna explain it. If you've never seen Rocky, Rocky is, uh, is about uh, this guy uh, who's a boxer and he's like a rundown boxer and he has no business fighting the champ. But for some reason, he gets a shot at the title against Apollo Creed. And so Rocky is fighting Apollo Creed and, and this happens in all these different movies. He fights Apollo in, in the first one. He fights Apollo in the second one, fights Clubber, Clubber Lang in the, in the third, and then uh, Ivan Drago in the pinnacle of the Rocky movies. They all went downhill after that. Rocky Four. 
the pinnacle of the movies. And he's fighting, you know, this Russian champion who is this steroided up, like super trained, like superhuman beast. And Rocky goes to Russia to fight him. And he's training in what must be the Siberian wilderness. I mean, it's just like snow everywhere. It's freezing. Like there's nothing around. And he's just, he's just training like crazy. And this is what I love about the Rocky movies. In every Rocky movie, there's a four minute montage of Rocky doing the craziest training of all time set to the most inspirational music you'll ever hear. And I love it. I love it. Like, like he's, he's racing this car on this snow-covered path. He's uh, taking this giant log and he's just pressing it over his head. He's in like a barn. He's like doing chin-ups on this big wooden beam. He's doing push-ups and he's doing sit-ups. And like people are punching him in the stomach and he's punching the punching bag. And he runs up this giant mountain that's just covered in snow, like feet of snow. And he sprints up to the top and he just whole throws his arms up in the air and just yells. And I'm like, yes, yes, I want to do that. And what I've discovered is I love, I love hard work when it's in four minute segments <laughs> and someone else is doing it. I, I love hard work in that category. But I don't like the day in, day out, waking up, doing the hard, difficult, arduous stuff of just making good decisions. It's hard to make good life-giving choices. I have so many habits and patterns in my life that are not healthy, that are not life-giving, that are not God-honoring. My flesh that just pulling me away from Jesus. I've got an enemy who is persistent, who knows what he's doing. And it's hard. It's difficult. And Paul knows this. He looks at Timothy and he's saying, man, you are entering into a difficult scenario. Right, I'm telling you to go teach against these false teachers. And you're gonna have to do it over and over and over because people are not going to listen. They're going to refute you. They're going to argue with you and they're not going to listen. So you're gonna have to persist in your teaching. You're gonna have to teach authoritatively. You're gonna have to confront these false teachers. And you're gonna have to live a life that mirrors this. And it's hard to look like Jesus, especially when people are rude, when people are mean, when people are unkind. It's hard to demonstrate the love of Jesus who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing as they're beating him to death. And so Paul tells Timothy, devote yourself, practice these things, persist in these things, keep doing these things over and over and over. And it can sound so daunting, but here's the good news. Here's the good news. I discovered it while I was watching YouTube. I was working really hard and I was watching YouTube, just, you know, you know, just working up a sweat, watching, watching YouTube, uh, doing nothing, just being lazy. But I came across this YouTube channel. Uh, it's called How It Should Have Ended. And what it is, is it's this guy who, who does these like five minute animations of movies, like summarizes a movie in five minutes. But what he does is he, he points out all the problems in the plot. And he says, well, this is how the movie actually should have ended. And it, it, it's funny. They're not all great, but some of them are really good. The first one I ever watched was Lord of the Rings. Who's a Lord of the Rings fan? We got Lord of the Rings fans. Now, here's the deal. I don't know how many of you remember this, but 20 years ago when Lord of the Rings, the movies came out, there was, there was this way that movies worked. The movies would, would, that you would say, the movie's going to come out on this Friday. And then the movie wouldn't come out until that Friday. 
It's the weirdest thing. Today, movies that come out on Friday come out Wednesday afternoon. And I don't understand, but somehow that works. But here's what would happen. It would come out at 12.01, right? Midnight plus one minute. That's when the movie would start. And so people for the Lord of the Rings movie, they would dress up like dwarves. They would dress up like elves. They would dress up like wizards. They would dress up like hobbits. And they would come at midnight. They would sit up till midnight and they would come watch this four hour movie. They'd get out like 4 a.m. This is what happened 20 years ago. Maybe some of you participated in that. Maybe you've only heard about these things, but this is what used to happen. Right, there's something about the story of Lord of the Rings, right? The books and the movies that compel us so much that many of us are willing to dress up, stay up till midnight and watch this movie. Now, the way that the, how it should have ended goes, did this. Now, if you're not familiar with Lord of the Rings, here's a basic plot conflict. You've got evil that's invading the world. And there's a group of people that want to stop this evil invading the world. And they have this ring that they have to destroy. And they have to figure out what they're going to do. And so they have this council, the Council of Elrond. And you've got the dwarves and the elves and the wizards and the humans and all these different groups of people, the hobbits. And they're trying to decide what they're going to do. And so in this, how it should have ended, they gather around the Council of Elrond. And someone says, I've got an idea. And then it says, 10 minutes later. 10 minutes later, they're flying on these giant eagles and they have the ring and they fly over uh, Mount Doom and the, Mount Doom, is that what it is? Mount Doom, yeah, Mount Doom. And they drop it into the fires of Mount Doom and then they fly off and it gets destroyed and everything is fine. And as they're flying off, one of the hobbits says, man, that was easy. Could you imagine if we had walked the whole way? That would have taken months. And then another was like, yeah, one of us might've died, which is exactly what happens, right? It's this long, difficult, arduous journey where they don't all make it. And here's the thing. Well, I think that's hilarious. And I know there are reasons in the book for why they didn't do that, why they couldn't fly in the eagles uh, into mortar. But still, while that's funny and humorous, I guarantee no one would dress up for a midnight premiere of that story. Because there's something that speaks to the core of our created nature. That we were created to not just receive, to not just be comfortable to not just indulge, to not just binge. We were created to work. We were created to train. We were created to participate in a story that's bigger than ourselves. We were created for so much more. And as we read these stories, as we watch these movies that speak to that, we love it. We're connected to it because we know there's something inside of us that longs for that, that yearns for that. And so as Paul lays this out for Timothy, let me tell you, this is what we were created for. Even though it seems hard, even though it seems difficult, even though it is difficult, there's something about hard work that blesses our souls. There's something about facing enemies that blesses our souls. There's something about partnering with God into what is difficult, into what is hard, and into what is greater that speaks to the core of who we are. Every single one of us in this room has been given a gift that is useful in participating in God's work, in building up his church and expanding his kingdom. And we've all been given the spirit of God. Every follower of Jesus has his spirit that is bringing us into maturity. And we get the opportunity to partner with him in this. Every single one of us tonight and tomorrow can participate in divine work. When you wake up tomorrow, think about that. 
tomorrow you can participate in God work. Not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, not because you have the power, but because God is so graciously giving you his spirit and his gifts to do so. Don't waste your day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much that you are so good. You are so kind, so compassionate, so generous that you would give yourself, you would give your son, Jesus. You would give your own life for us, that you would pay the penalty for our sin, for our rebellion. And you would go beyond that. You would give us a gift empowered by your spirit that is actually useful in doing divine work work that matters here now, but work that will matter in eternity. Lord, I pray, I pray that you would inspire us to partner with you in that great work. To not demonstrate perfection, but to demonstrate progress. As every day we re-up and just say yes to you, your work in our lives and the work that you've prepared for us to do. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the strength to say yes tonight and say yes tomorrow. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's in the incredible name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.